This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Happy Election Day. Does Lafayette County or Oxford have any municipal elections like they do in Jackson today, Professor Gershon? We do, and uh, after the show and after I teach my Tax 2 class, which is right after the show, I'm going to go vote. Uh, and we have alderman elections um, that are going on. Very, local government's really important, and uh, it's important that people get involved in local government. Please be an educated voter. Find out where your polling place is. Find out who to vote for, who not to vote for, because it it all politics is all local. Exactly. And Liz, yeah, we are so excited though to have this show this morning. Uh, We have Attorney Brittany Pete, who is PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement, and she's our guest on the show today. And Brittany, it's so great to have you. Would would you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you became interested in animal rights? Um, well, I I was I grew up in a small town in Michigan, and I I grew up going to circuses and roadside zoos and playing on a, a bear rug that was made from the fur of a bear my dad shot. This was not. Uh, animal rights wasn't something that I grew up steeped in. Um, I started to change my tune a little bit when I got a dog as a young adult, and I realized there were things that he liked and didn't like, and people that he liked and didn't like, that he was a real individual. Um, But at the same time, I was also a a hyper-omnivore, And uh, I loved meat and I loved dairy products. And I thought that vegetarianism was ridiculous, so much so that I decided to write a paper for my sociology class about all of the the follies of vegetarianism. Um, And so it was through researching that paper that I learned that um, that female mother pigs um, are confined to crates that are barely bigger than their own bodies when they give birth and they they spend most of their lives there and the idea that i was eating cows or chickens who lived a good life on an idyllic farm was a lie Um, i became vegetarian immediately and a few years later i dropped all animal products and became vegan well uh it's it's great to have you and that's thank you for sharing that with us i think it's a, a path that many people have taken or are taking and uh and you know and your your work um is is especially around captive animals talk to us a little bit about about the legal work you've done with captive animals and and what is a captive animal yeah so uh, when we talk about captive animals we're talking about usually wild or exotic animals um, who you find in zoos or or circuses Um, And what I didn't realize when I was going to roadside zoos and circuses as a kid um, is that life for these animals is full of neglect and deprivation. 
um, the bears and tigers and elephants you see um, are naturally far-ranging species. They have huge brains and complex needs um, that are completely thwarted when they're forced to perform in a circus ring or confined to a cramped concrete box in a roadside zoo. So, um, so at the PETA Foundation, um, the, the department that I work in is called the Captive Animal Law Enforcement Division. And our focus is on advocating for animals who are in roadside zoos. And we have been able to rescue hundreds of, of animals so far, tigers, lions, bears, chimpanzees, uh, and other animals from roadside zoos and, um, and other animal and entertainment venues. How do you find out about them? I mean, I, that, I guess that's one question because they're all over. And mm -hmm. you know, so what, you know, how does, does PETA work with the public that way? Or how, how do you find out about those, those zoos? We find out a lot about places in a lot of different ways. And a, a lot of times we do find out about them from, from members of the public. Um, a couple of years ago, we got a call from a member of the public about uh, a bear named Dylan who was being confined in a in a tiny concrete on a tiny concrete slab at a sportsman's club in Pennsylvania. He was being fed um, slop from restaurant left restaurant leftovers, French fries, and hamburgers. Um, and he turned out to be one of the most neglected bears that I'd. I'd ever met. Um, so we get a lot of really great and useful information from members of the public. And speaking of members of the public, we have a phone call. If you would like to participate in our show, you have a question or comment about captive animal rights that you would like to speak with our guest, Brittany Pete. PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement. Let's go to the phones and speak with John from Jackson. John, thank you so much for calling in today. What's your comment or question? Well, I'd like to call everybody's attention to a book that came out in um, uh, 2020, A Traitor to His Species, Henry Berg and the Birth of the Animal Rights Movement. It's a really fascinating book that puts many of our present problems with animal rights into perspective. In 19th century America, gosh, animals were treated unimaginably horribly with gentlemen's um, having uh, dog fighting all the time, horses with to death, all kinds of things. Berg founded the um, ASPCA, the American Society for the Protection of Animals. In his lifetime from 1830 to 1888, he, he became an enormously controversial figure. Uh, he even took on celebrities like P.T. Barnum for cruelty to animals in Barnum shows. He, he called people's attention to things like using live pigeons for for what we now have as, as uh, uh, clay, uh, clay pigeons. So reading this book gives you some idea of how active a few individuals could become in 19th century America to make a huge difference. So I applaud you folks. Well, thank you, John, for uh, mentioning that. Uh, we will make sure we have that link 
on our show. Uh, Brittany, do you have anything to say about that? I, I think that's a, a wonderful comment. It's it's amazing to see how far we've come when we think about the treatment of animals from 100 years ago. Um, but it's also shocking to see how far we have to go, even just looking at at other countries. Um, so many countries in Europe and South and Central America have banned the use of animals in circuses. Um, when here in the United States, um, we're still seeing circuses that are forcing elephants, tigers, and bears to perform cruel and completely unnatural tricks in, in the circus ring. So we still have a long way to go. Thank you so Thank you. much for that comment, John. And, uh, you know, we kind of the joke about uh, funny holidays that there are, but I, I have an enormously long list of holidays that are this week. I'm just going to read a couple. April 2nd was National Ferret Day. National Birding Day was the third. World Rat Day was the fourth. National Siamese Cat Day is today. The 8th is National Dog Fighting Awareness Day. The 10th is National Catch and Release Day. The 10th is National Farm Animals Day. And the 10th is also National Hug Your Dog Day. We are talking today about animal rights with our guest, Brittany Pete, PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Animal Law Enforcement, Captive Animal Law Enforcement, PETA recently sent out a good job message to one city in Mississippi. We're going to tell you which city and what they did next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. is in legal terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. PETA recently sent out a statement 
The city of Meridian, Mississippi, has made the compassionate decision to halt draining of the area's Long Creek Reservoir, in part to ensure the safety of countless fish and other aquatic animals who call it home. We thank city officials and all of you who lent your voice to this important issue. That was on PETA's website. This morning, we are talking about animal rights with our guest, Brittany Pete, PETA's Foundations, PETA Foundations General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement. You know, it's uh, it, it's great. I mean, I think this awareness is so great. I'm, I'm really uh, pleased that organizations like PETA and people like Brittany are involved in, in this, uh, uh, making us more aware. And, and Brittany, I even in preparing for the show, would you, would you please tell us the difference between a captive animal and a farm animal? Because I'm not sure I really knew the difference uh, going in. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, you know, in some senses, they could be considered one and the same. But when we talk about captive wildlife, we're generally talking about animals who are used for entertainment. Um, and so one of the ways that you can often distinguish them is most, most animals used in the entertainment industry are wild and exotic animals, whereas uh, farmed animals are typically domesticated animals. Um, so a lot of the animals that we're advocating on behalf of are big cats or bears, um, primates, those sorts of those sorts of animals. Animals who are who are wild and still have those wild instincts for whom you know and and for whom it's really difficult to cope living in a cage. Thank you. We have another caller that we'd like to get to. Let's talk to Roger in Florence. Roger, thanks so much for being part of In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Thank you. I have one comment first, and that is I, I want to ask uh, your guests to, to comment and discuss the uh, fact, I believe it's a fact, that you don't have to be a vegan to love animals and be very active in animal rights. You can be a hunter harvester of deer, etc., but you can be high enthusiastic about about animal rights. But my question is about uh, the legalities in Mississippi about retaining uh, a, a, a wild animal, a, a deer, um, a white-tailed deer. The other night I was out in the woods here at Green Hope and sitting watching the light fade and up walks this little fawn, just barely losing its spots had an orange, hunter orange looking raggedy collar around it, walked right up to me and nudged me, and I didn't touch it, I didn't want to encourage this, but then later that night, back at the house, I heard a single shot, bang, and I thought, oh shoot, my neighbor who's been shooting has shot that deer. No, two weeks later, I was out another place in the woods, up walks, uh, I suppose, the same little deer, with the same raggedy collar, apparently lost, but maybe a neighbor maybe a neighbor pet what's the law regarding that so one i'd like your comments on veganism and i'd like your your uh, legal opinion you know i can't tell you specifically what the law is in mississippi about keeping white-tailed deer in, in, in captivity um, I can say, though, in, in many states, it is legal. You typically need a license. It's highly regulated um, because of chronic wasting disease. Um, you know, so you'll typically see, um, you know, maybe there was a number on the collar or a tag in the ear. Um, 
sometimes it's for canned hunting events, um, for meat, and sometimes, um, you know, just to have them as, as so-called pets. Um, it's certainly not advisable. They are, they are wild animals. Um, but I absolutely agree with Roger that you don't have to be vegan to support animal rights. We're all on a journey. Um, we, all, we all started somewhere. Um, and one of the things that we often say um, about animals and entertainment issues is that they're, they're sort of a gateway issue to animal rights. People will, will start out paying attention to PETA and animal rights issues because they learned about uh, the, the cruelty involved in using elephants in circuses or confining orcas at SeaWorld. And then they'll go to PETA's website and social media and learn about all of the, the many other animal rights-related issues. Um, you know, But you might be surprised, Roger. I never thought that I would be a vegan person, and here I am 12 years later. And, and I, can I, if I can weigh in, too, I think that, that I totally agree with Roger as well. You know, there's some argument that in favor, for example, that hunting, actually, when we have a big deer population, will keep that deer population down um, uh, in, in a positive way. But um, so there are a lot of ways to be human, but, but one, one thing we all should do is, is care about animals. And if you listen to Creature Comforts, which is on MPB, they talk about if you see a wild animal like a deer, it's best to call a licensed veterinarian to, to because that animal may need some special care uh, that we can't give them. And, and so that might be a good thing to do. And, uh, and so I, uh, I think that I, I encourage you, Roger, to maybe think about that, but it's, it's great that you want to take care of that little animal. Thank you, Roger. We appreciate you calling in. We're now going to go to Nancy in Biloxi. Nancy, thank you for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question for our guest, Brittany Pete, PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement? Well, I wanted to know if Brittany or their colleagues have ever found a circus or a zoo that meets their standards. Thanks, Nancy. Um, so PETA works with a, a large number of um, reputable sanctuaries um, that are typically accredited by an organization called the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. It's the, the gold standard um, for captive wildlife facilities. Um, and typically when PETA rescues a tiger or a bear or a chimpanzee, um, those animals end up being placed in a GFAS accredited sanctuary. Um, there are also um, zoos uh, who are accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, otherwise known as AZA, such as the Detroit Zoo here in Michigan where I live. Um, and the Detroit Zoo is an excellent zoo that has, um, its leadership has progressive values. They retired their elephants several years ago after, entirely for humane reasons, after acknowledging that the one acre enclosure um, that they had for the elephants was far too small and that the climate in Michigan wasn't appropriate for animals. So instead they sent them to a, a sanctuary in California that was better able to provide for their needs in captivity. Thank you, I appreciate it. Thank you. Nancy, we appreciate you calling in. Email us with your questions. 
The address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with our guest, Brittany Pete, PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Captive Law Animal. Let me get this right. Captive Animal Law Enforcement about animal rights. I mentioned earlier that PETA thanked folks for lending their voice on an action that needed to be done. How can you find out about what needs to be done? I'm going to tell you next. Also, keep in mind, April 11th is National Pet Day. The 21st is Tuna Rights Day. World Day for Animals in Laboratories is the 24th. It's Adopt-A-Ferret Month, Canine Fitness Month, Dog Appreciation Month, National Adopt-A-Groundhog Greyhound Month, and National Frog Month. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. Just find us and subscribe. This morning, we're talking about animal rights with our guest, Brittany Pete, PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement. PETA has action alerts on their webpage where you can learn about what's going on of concern and how you can help take action or you could thank officials for the actions that they have taken. We have a couple of calls holding, so we're going to jump right in and go to Eric in Liberty. Eric, we appreciate you calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question this morning? Uh, the uh Earlier, it was being discussed as to whether you could own a white-tailed deer uh, in Mississippi. And the answer to that is no, it's illegal. You can own a red deer, but not the white-tailed deer. Now, as far as the circus animals go, the whole problem with that is supply and demand. If people would not support going to these circuses and various places where they got aquatic animals, and stuff like that, then it wouldn't be no problem. And a lot of the people that uh, that's in business, uh, the hypocrisy about it is they push it as research and education, but the real deal is M-O-N-E-Y. Uh, that was my comments. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. We appreciate you calling in. Eric hit the nail on the head there for sure. And that's why, in addition to the legal work that we do to uh, 
prevent um, these the, the worst abuses for captive animals um, and to rescue the victims, um, we're also really focusing on public education through social media, um, PETA's website, um, and we encourage everyone um, in particular, anytime you see uh, one of your friends or family members posting on social media that they've gone to a circus with animals or that they're posing with a tiger cub, speak up, make sure that they understand that um, that it's not something that you support or that's acceptable. And if you ever, um, if you have any question about what to write or if you're not sure what to say, you can go to PETA.org to get more information about what animals have to go through when they're used in circuses or in the tiger cub petting industry. And, you know, we, we will get to, in a minute, I know we have another call after this one, but, um, uh, Brittany, we're going to talk about your involvement with Tiger King and then uh, some other cases along those lines that was really, you know, the, the, the balance of money and, and attracting people versus the, the treatment of animals. So we're excited to get to that in just a little bit. Well, let's take one more call before we do get into that. Let's go to Jonathan in Starkville. Jonathan, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Uh, yeah, I was really just trying to get some clarification from your guest about some um, supposed misinformation uh, that I would like for her to clear up, if it is indeed misinformation. Um, I've heard uh, some pretty radical things about what PETA does in regards to uh, rescuing um, uh, animals, I guess, within the purview of, of their organization. Uh, is there any validity or truth to the, uh, to the uh, supposition that uh, PETA will go en masse into a humane society or an animal shelter or even to people's domestic residences? Um, abduct their animals and euthanize them. Jonathan, thanks for thanks for asking that question. Um, it's it's absolutely not true. The reality is um, that PETA operates um, uh, uh, one of uh, it operates something called the the Companion Animal Project in the the area the Hampton Roads area of Virginia near Norfolk, Virginia, where its headquarters are located. It's one of the poorest areas in the country, um, and it operates what's called a shelter of last resort, um, where animals who are horribly aggressive, who've lived their entire lives on a chain, um, who have tumors the size of footballs, um, animals who are extremely ill or injured, um, PETA will never turn an animal away. Um, so animals who are truly on their last leg, who've been hit by a car or their bodies are being ravaged by cancer, um, PETA will provide them with humane euthanasia. Um, PETA also offers um, free euthanasia services for the community and their companion animals. Um, it's a service that, that no other shelter provides um, because we, we don't want anyone to be forced to allow forced to have to um for their companion animals to languish um without being able to provide them with a peaceful release um and just i will quickly mention um one story that's personal to me about the lengths that PETA goes to rescue companion animals my own dog leonard um i adopted from PETA. he was rescued um, when he was a six-month-old puppy He'd been hit by a car, and his owners at the time um, 
didn't bother taking him to the veterinarian, even though he had a horribly broken leg. Instead, they left him like that for a week. Um, finally, they called PETA. Um, PETA was out there immediately. They rushed him to the emergency vet. Um, unfortunately, by then, it was too late to save his leg. Um, they got a second opinion to, to make sure that his leg couldn't be salvaged, um, and then they paid for his amputation surgery the next day. Um, I started fostering him a short time later, um, and he's my best friend now. And, and he's just one example of so many that PETA is, is saving in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia and in northern North Carolina. Thank you, Jonathan. We appreciate you calling in, and we'll have lots of uh, links to this and that on uh, the information for this page. We are speaking with Brittany Pete, PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement today. And Brittany, um, I, I uh, went down a path on Netflix to watching a show called Tiger King that dealt with a roadside zoo, um, and uh, it's you know it's gotten a lot of national attention. And you you were involved in that case, and how did you get involved in that case? How did Peter get involved in that investigation? Right. So Joe Exotic um, is the main character in in the docu series, and he'd been public enemy number one for PETA for for many years, primarily because he was the primary operator and supplier for the tiger cub petting industry. And PETA focuses a lot of attention on this industry because of the breadth of cruelty that's involved. It begins um, virtually immediately after the cubs are born. They're typically taken from their mothers right away, even though in the wild they would stay with them for two years. At that point, their eyes are closed, their immune systems aren't fully developed, and they can't even regulate their own body temperatures. But that's also the moment when the cubs are at their most valuable. Because in just a few months, they'll be too large and dangerous to be used for these cub petting events. So Joe would either sell the cubs for between $2,500 and $10,000 each, um, or he'd use them in his encounter business. And all the sales were done under the table because tigers are endangered species. So it was illegal for him to sell them. Um, so PETA was relentless in trying to get him shut down. Um, and I ended up meeting Joe uh, after his his husband, Travis, died. He was starting to fall out with his then business partner, Jeff Lowe, um, and he was desperate and looking for an exit strategy, and, and he saw PETA as a potential out. Um, and we were able to, through negotiations with Joe, we were able to save 39 tigers, three bears, two baboons, and two chimpanzees um, before he fled the zoo and was arrested for hiring two hitmen to kill Carol Baskin. Um, so I ended up testifying at Joe's trial um, for murder for hire and um, wildlife trafficking. And then I later met with him in jail at his request um, so that he could spill the beans on everybody else in the industry. Um, he was angry that none of his friends stood by him after his arrest. And so his form of revenge was to tell PETA all of their secrets. It's so, it's so fascinating. And uh, yeah, well, well, what what federal laws were involved in, in this investigation? 
Um, so primarily the, the Endangered Species Act, um, which protects threatened and endangered species in the United States, um, including captive members of the species. Um, and for, for, for these purposes, um, mostly tigers, lions, and, and lemurs that Joe was accused and ultimately convicted um, of selling illegally. We so, are, so, I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, Richard, say, uh, you say your comment. I was going to say it's so, it's so interesting because it goes back to money. That I mean, it was illegal to have those tigers here, but yet uh, people were having quite an industry based on it. So anyway, that was that was my only comment, Liz. I'm sorry. No, no. We want we're this is a discussion. We want to hear uh, lots of different voices. We can also take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our topic for today is animal rights with our guest, Brittany Pete, PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement. Where can you learn more about PETA? We'll tell you that next. And also, just to let you know, to remind you, this is National Pest Management Month, National Pet First Aid Awareness Month, Prevention of Animal Cruelty Month. It's World Laboratory Animal Liberation Week, the 16th through the 24th. National Pet ID Week, National Dog Bite Prevention Week is the 11th through the 17th, and National Animal Control Appreciation Week, April 11th through the 17th. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Hi. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following this show's live broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedy Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Now, according to their website, PETA is the largest animal rights organization in the world with more than 6.5 million members and supporters. If you would like to support the work of PETA, there's a donate button at the top of their page. PETA.org. We're talking today about animal rights with our guest, Brittany Pete, PETA's 
found PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement. Let's go to the phones and welcome Sue from Beaumont. Sue, thank you for calling in today. What is your comment or question about animal rights? Yes, uh, I, I was wondering about, you know, they had this uh, Animal Act in Las Vegas, Siegfried and Roy, and they had they had a whole bunch of tigers, but they had a tiger they had raised from a, I guess a, what do you call it, tiger kitten, a white tiger. And uh, this tiger jumped off its pedestal during an act and, um, nailed Roy on the neck and, and almost killed him, but people forget that tigers are still wild wild animals, you know, but I wonder how do these acts, these animal acts get the permission to have, legally to have, I guess to legally have animals and have tigers and things it, I mean, shouldn't it be against the law for them to hold animals for acts, for, for entertainment purposes it's, it's almost like having like, like in Russia having the bears, you know trained bears I thought it was illegal to have animals, trained animals like that. Well, Sue, PETA certainly agrees with you on that point. And and there are trained bears just like those in Russia here in the United States performing in circuses today. Um, and, And you're absolutely right. Tigers and bears are still wild. And we see the types of attacks uh, like the one that occurred in the Siegfried and Roy show regularly here in the United States. Just a few weeks ago in in North Carolina, um, a woman was injured by a, a captive wolf at a roadside zoo at the same facility where another keeper was killed by a lion uh, just a couple years ago. Um, this happens with alarming frequency. And the problem is um, the, the law that regulates animal exhibits like these The Animal Welfare Act, which is administered by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, is is very poorly enforced. Um, It is statutorily mandated to ensure the humane treatment of animals who are used for exhibition, um, but it fails woefully at that. Um, I mentioned earlier a bear named Dylan who was held at a... um, on a concrete slab at a sportsman's club in Pennsylvania. Um, Dylan was two and a half times the weight that, that he should have been. He, when he opened his mouth, you could see that some of his teeth were black and rotting in his mouth. He had a hole in his gums um, from infection that had bored through it from a draining abscess. The U.S. Department of Agriculture had documented these conditions for Dylan for more than three years, and they allowed them to continue until PETA learned about them from a concerned citizen um, and made Dylan's plight public to the point that we that we got Alec Baldwin involved. Um, Alec Baldwin sent a letter to Pennsylvania's governor, and it was only then that the USDA finally convinced the sportsman's club to allow Dylan to be transferred to a reputable wildlife sanctuary where he finally had surgery after living in agony for three years. Um, and he had 12 teeth removed, um, and, and two root canals, but still to this day, that sportsman's club is still licensed by the U S department of agriculture is still exhibiting other animals and is neglecting them too. Thanks, Sue. We appreciate you calling in with that question. 
Yes, thank you, Sue. And and you know, we, so you mentioned the Animal Welfare Act and its its lack of enforcement. What the Endangered Species Act? How is that enforced, and who could get involved in the Endangered Species Act? Well, unfortunately, um, the the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is tasked with enforcing the Endangered Species Act, and and it is all too often um, not adequately enforced as well. Um, the distinction, though, between the Animal Welfare Act and the Endangered Species Act is that the Endangered Species Act has a citizen suit provision um, so that people and as well as organizations like PETA can sue directly on behalf of threatened and endangered species. And that has that's exactly what PETA has done in our effort to try to eradicate the big cat cub petting industry. And so was that uh, kind of an avenue to, you, you, you dealt with a, another high-profile case, Tim and Melissa Stark, uh, a PETA uh, brought action against them. Was that under the, the ESA? Yes. Um, PETA filed an Endangered Species Act lawsuit against um, a man named Tim Stark, who was featured in Tiger King, um, and his, his wife, Melissa, and his roadside zoo, Wildlife in Need, in Indiana. Um, in that suit, PETA alleged that their practices of declawing big cat cubs and um, big cats for these purposes are defined as tigers, lions, and tiger-lion hybrids. Um, and PETA also alleged that prematurely separating um, baby big cats from their mothers and using them in public encounters um, all violates the Endangered Species Act. And so, what um, what was the outcome of that? What uh, how did that? And what was your role in that in that whole process? Um, so, I work with PETA's litigation team um, in putting these cases together, um, and throughout the case, um, we were able to go out and do a site inspection at Wildlife in Need um, and gather a lot of evidence. Um, anyone who's seen Tiger King will will understand that these cases are, are never typical. Um, these are people who don't think that the law applies to them. Um, at one point in the case, Tim Stark posted a, a video to his Facebook in which he brandished a rifle um, and threatened um, not only one of the attorneys in our case, but also the judge presiding over the case. Um, so it, it's just, you know, one example of contempt after another. Um, that's always how these cases go, and that's how it went with Tim Stark. But um, nonetheless, our case was so strong um, that we actually won on on summary judgment, um, base, which basically means that the the evidence was so overwhelming um, that there was nothing that the defendant could do to to rebut it. The judge didn't need to hear evidence, um, and so that was how we were able to get. Um, the first ever federal precedent finding that declawing, prematurely separating, and using big cat cubs in public encounters violates the ESA. Um, and now we're seeing the U.S. Department of Justice has adopted the arguments PETA made in that case against Tim Stark, as well as uh, relying on the precedent. And it's using that in its own case against Tim Stark's former business partner, um, also Joe Exotic's former business partner, Jeff Lowe. Um, and PETA has submitted its own notice of intent to sue Jeff Lowe under the ESA. 
Um, so the, this case has had the broad impact that, that we were hoping that it would. Um, and we're taking down the big cat cub petting industry uh, just like we aimed to. And it's what you said before, Brittany. It's about it's about awareness. It's about education. And the more people that know about it, the Department of Justice now, it's on their radar, which I think makes a huge difference. So uh, the, the, the good work of PETA is definitely making making a big difference. Um, now we, we talk about um, you know those those the big cubs and the cats and and the captive animals like that. Um, are there other types of animals? Um, like for example. Sea mammals. Do, do you work with sea mammals? We do, yeah. And, and PETA has a, a very long-standing and public campaign against against SeaWorld. Um, and we try to focus on, um, we want to have a threefold impact whenever we're using the law to help animals. We want to end the worst abuses for captive animals. We want to shut down the worst facilities, and we want to rescue the victims. And so we focus on big issues like big cat cub petting, um, like keeping large-brained, um, far-roaming cetaceans um, like orca in captivity. Um, and another issue that we focus a lot of effort on because of the cruelty it causes is the issue of confining highly social animals like primates in solitary confinement. Um, and so that's another issue that we've that we've worked really hard on, um, and we've nearly um, reached our goal of completely eradicating um, the confinement of, of solitary chimpanzees in captivity. We've managed to rescue thirteen so far. Um, you know, so it's another that's another one of the big issues that we're focusing on. Well, it's really, it's such important work. And, you know, uh, I know one of the things you're working on, I think a lot of people would be surprised, the Iditarod is, a, you know, the, the dog race out in Alaska is something that Pete is working on. Why, why would you be concerned about that? You know, isn't that kind of just a, a dog race? It's, it's, it's not just a dog race. It's, it is a blood sport. Um, it's it's these, these dogs who are being forced to run day after day. Um, and, and dogs die every year in this race as a result of being overrun. Um, and I think that the fact that there is an exception in Alaska's cruelty law for, for dog racing um, shows that the state of Alaska and the legislature acknowledges um, the cruelty that's, that's implicit in this sport. Um, in virtually any other state, if this conduct occurred, you could be prosecuted for cruelty to animals. Um, but in Alaska, um, there is an exception for it in the cruelty law. And so one of the uh, strategies that PETA is using to, to end the Iditarod is going after the event's sponsors. And PETA has been incredibly successful in getting huge corporations like Coke and Jack Daniels to drop its sponsorship of this event um, after we talked to them about how cruel it is. And in some cases, um, if they don't respond to that, um, letting their customers know how cruel it is and, and asking them to, to urge these companies to drop their sponsorships. Brittany, the last question we'll be able to take today is from Cindy, who emailed us. Do you think Mississippi will ever ban keeping dogs on chains? Now, this isn't necessarily a captive animal question, but it goes towards what can people do? 
I think that's such a great question and an important issue. Um, and that's another thing that PETA is is working on, um, particularly back in in the, the area around its headquarters in Norfolk, Virginia and, and North Carolina, um, trying to really attack the problem at its source. Um, and one of the worst things that you can do with dogs who are also highly social um, is to sentence them to a life on a chain. Um, so PETA has been able to get uh, dog tethering bans passed in a number of local jurisdictions. Um, and I think that it's only a matter of time before that catches on uh, across the rest of the United States. Yeah. Again, it's education and, and uh, you know, getting people to think about it. I, you know, people, people are used to certain things and they're going to circuses. I went to circuses as a kid and now, you know, thinking back about it, you know, think about the animals. It's certainly, you know, I have a different perspective. Uh, you know, and yet we, you know better, you do better, uh, right? And that's really you know, where we are. Now, now, we have law students. We have an animal legal defense. Oh, Richard, uh, we uh, don't. We have to. You'll have to email your question, and we'll oh, forward sorry. it to Brittany because we that's have sorry. run out of time. Brittany, Pete, General Deputy General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement from PETA Foundation. Thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate all the work that uh, PETA does and raising awareness for you to help make the laws in your area. That's going to wrap us up for today on In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Michelle McAdoo, and our board engineer has been Jay White. For (laughs) Professor Richard Gerson, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us Tuesdays at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.